and all kinds. And not a lot of them are very admirable, honestly. And we know know from Romans chapter 12 that we're not supposed to be conformed to the world. We're supposed to be different. That if you see us, you're supposed to see Christ in our lives and in our speech. But you, when you look at the folks in the world, I mean, you just don't see that. And I want to just talk about one thing this morning that you do see a lot of. And I hope it's not me. I hope it's not you. But I do want us to begin by looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 50, a couple of the verses first. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. So Mary has been told that she's going to have a child by the Holy Spirit. And so she goes to see Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth sees her, she walks in the room and Elizabeth is going to have a child named John. And that baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth says something and then Mary said what we just read. So Mary, in those four verses right there, uh, exalts the Lord, declares the greatness of the Lord, the footnote in my New uh, New King James says. She says, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. He has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. He's shown special respect for that word regarded shows a special respect. It's to look at attentively with the implication of personal concern for someone. His mercy is on those who fear him. General statement right there. His mercy is on those who fear him. So that's the kind of person we ought to be that fears God, that would exalt God, talk about the greatness of God, and rejoice in God. But she also says something else in verses 51 and 52. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He scattered the proud, those who are full of pride. He puts down the mighty from their thrones and he exalts those who are lowly. So again, we want to be exalted, don't we? When this life is over, we want to be raised to that level of God as much as can be. So he scatters the proud and puts down the mighty from their thrones. So I want us to talk about for a few minutes... Um, those who are proud. Look at Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Genesis 11. I guess I ought to get to Genesis instead of Exodus, huh? Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. 
they had bricks for stone and they had asphalt for mortar and they said, come let us build for ourselves, build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. And they all have one language, and this is what they uh, begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of, the, of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So here's, here's the people of, of, in the land of Shinar who are going to build a city for themselves, a tower whose top is in the heavens. And they said, let us make a name for ourselves. Let's be somebody. Let's... Uh, Show ourselves prideful is what they're actually saying. So they were going to make a reputation for themselves. So let's, let's talk about pride this morning. And um, I want to begin that by looking at 3 John verses 9 and 10. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Here's this guy, Diotrephes. And it says, he loves to have the preeminence. So what does that mean? He loves to have a, he, he has a, a special interest in being in the leading position. And that would mean he's going to be controlling others. You see what he's tried to do. It's also what you really see in this preeminence or wanting that is excessive self-esteem known as conceit and arrogance. That's what you see in diatrophies. Pride gives us the impression of substance. I saw this quote somewhere. It gives the impression of substance, but is really filled only with air. Really filled only with air. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It's not empty. And in Acts chapter 12, verse 20 through 24, now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aid their friend, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food by the king's uh, the, their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne, and gave an oration to them, and the people kept shouting the voice of a god and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. So here's, here's Herod. 
and he makes a great speech. And the people, I don't know if they're buttering him up. I don't know what the motive here is. But they say, the voice of a God is not of a man. And he doesn't say, no, 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 no. I'm just a man. He doesn't do that. He just lets it go on. The Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. Let's look at Luke 12. Luke 12, verses 15 through 21. Luke 12, verses 15 through 21. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those who... uh, Then... Whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So I understand that the scripture talks about this as being a covetous man. But look at this man. Look at him, what he says in here. He says, what shall I do? I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And I will store all my crops and my goods. I will say to my soul, where is his focus? Where is, his, where is he? He's focused on I, himself. He's wealthy. And he's, it's, it's caused him to have an, a puffed up heart. He's, he's not right. So people that are filled with pride don't have the respect for others that they should, which is the opposite of what God's looking for. He's looking for those who are humble. And one who is filled with pride certainly is not humble. In James chapter 4, in verse 13, it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Yeah, let's, we, Sandra and I have plans. We're going to be gone next week. Lord willing. Lord willing. Uh, and we all do that. But do we include the Lord in the plans? Sometimes our plans are changed, and it's not because we wanted them to, but it just happens. James 4, verses 15 16, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we, we shall live and do this or that. But now you're boasting your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Those who are guilty of leaving God out, uh, out of their plans, 
uh, are guilty, as, I, as it says here. They're really boasting that they run their own lives, and we, we do not. We do not run our own lives. And so how do we get out of that habit? How do we change to be the kind of people that God wants us to be? I want us to look at someone. Uh, I think I'm ready for No, I'm not ready for that yet. Sorry. I want us to look at, yeah, someone in Matthew. And I won't take a lot of, go into detail because we've been through this recently in our classes. Matthew 6, verses 1 and 2. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory for men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So when we do something, the, the, the impetus for doing it is not to be noticed when we do something. Because if you do that, we have pride, too much pride. So we're supposed to be pleasing God and He'll reward us when we do what's right. In verses 3 and 4, But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will uh, himself reward you openly. Here's the way you do it. Do a charitable deed. Don't let your left hand know what your right's doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret, that nobody knows. And then the Father will reward you. In verses 5 and 6, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corner, uh, the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the, hev- in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Again, don't make a long prayer just to make a long prayer so people can say, wow, that was wonderful. You do it. If you do that, you do it for God. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do. For they think they will be, they will be heard for their pray- words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. When we pray, God knows what we need. Vain repetition. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like that. Verses uh, Matthew 6, 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Look at him. He's fasting. And then you may tell other people about it. Uh, Don't be like that. It's filled with pride. Verses 17 and 18, But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Again, we do what we, we, if we fast, don't look like we're fasting. If we pray, don't do it just to be noticed by people. 
We want God to reward us and not men. Now, to what we started a while ago. I want to talk about a guy for the rest of the time who was filled with pride. I'm going to kind of begin at the middle of a story. Nebuchadnezzar is who I want to talk about. In, in uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, it says, The king spoke, saying, Is this not great Babylon, that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? I have built it by my mighty power, he says, for the honor of my majesty. Who's he thinking about? He's thinking about Nebuchadnezzar. He's thinking about himself. Look what I've done. I want us to, I, I did quite a bit of reading actually on, on the city that he's looking out at from his palace. And I just want to show you some things. Hopefully it'll make some sense. But Babylon was probably the most magnificent city and probably the largest in the world during, during Nebuchadnezzar's time. Herodotus, who was a, a Greek historian, visited Babylon about 100 years after Nebuchadnezzar and was overwhelmed by what he saw, even a hundred years after Nebuchadnezzar. Alexander the Great planned to make Babylon the headquarters for his empire. That's how much this city was thought of. It was surrounded by a deep water-filled moat and a system of double walls, 21 feet thick, and they had watchtowers spaced out in them. The outer wall was 11 feet thick and had also had watchtowers. Later on, Nebuchadnezzar built another double wall system. The outer wall was 25 feet thick. The inner wall was 23 feet thick. And chariots could pass on top of it. That, that's, the, that's this uh, support system, uh, defense system that Babylon had four huge walls apparently don't know for sure how high these gates uh, the walls were but this is the Ishtar gate which was one of the gates at Babylon and it has been found and fully put back together and it's in a museum in London or somewhere and it was about 40 feet tall so you could speculate that the rest of the walls were about 40 feet tall somebody that tall is going to have a hard time breaching that wall or getting over that wall. It just almost is not going to happen. Here's a close-up of the lions that are on that wall. As I say, fully restored and in a museum now. The main palace, there were three palaces in Babylon, so I understand, but the main palace was about 350 yards by 200 Yards. It had a beautifully decorated throne room. 350 yards, that's 1,050 feet. I mean, the temple in Jerusalem was nowhere near that. No, it was not even close. 1,050 feet by 600 feet, two football fields. 
I mean, just think about that. The hanging gardens were built for Nebuchadnezzar's wife, Amethyst. Wanted her to feel at home away from her native country. And it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And these hanging gardens, from what I read, I don't know, but from what I read could be seen outside the city. So apparently they were higher than the 40-foot walls or on a hill in the city or whatever, but uh, they could be seen. So the king is looking at this and thinking, look what I've done by my mighty power. He's filled with pride. This is all mine. Look what I did. Look what I did. Turn to Daniel 4. Again, we're going to start in verse 19 because Daniel uh, or Nebuchadnezzar has had another dream. And um, I'm not going to read the dream itself, but we're going to read uh, what was written after the dream. And you'll get all the dream, basically. Daniel 4, verses 19 through 26. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Or Bel- Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely, and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all under which the beast of the field dwelled, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you, and you shall come to know, after you come to know, that heaven rules. So, I don't know exactly what the tree looked like. Don't know what the roots, uh, the stump that's bound with bronze uh, looks like, or, uh, but just something uh, there. But about this dream, there are a couple of conclusions to what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. And one is in verse uh, 25, 
the conclusion of it was till you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. These things that are going to happen to you, you shall be driven uh, from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field and they shall make you eat grass and the dew is going. Till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of, me, of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Till you realize that this is not you. It's not about you, Nebuchadnezzar. And also, in verse 26, uh, and inasmuch as the command was given to leave the stump and the roots in the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. You're going to come to your senses, and you're going to realize that heaven rules, that you didn't just do this. It was not you. It was God. So what's the solution then? Look in Daniel chapter 4, verse 27. Oh, I think I've got it on the, on the chart. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. What does he say? Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. In other words, you need to repent. You need to change. You don't have pride like that, and it just and it just continues on through eternity. You better change when you come to know that God rules and that heaven rules, and it's not you. So now, let's look at Daniel chapter four, verses twenty-eight through the rest of the chapter, twenty-eight through thirty-seven. All this came upon, came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in his king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. They shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised him and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. I guess I could have put that verse up there. At the same time, my reason returned to me and the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. Twelve months, he, he, Nebuchadnezzar, or Daniel told him the interpretation of the dreams, and he had twelve months to repent. But that's asking too much for him. 
He just, he was not going to do it. And so at the end of those, uh, and so he lives like a beast and he eats grass and the dew's on him for seven times. I, and people speculate that this is possibly seven years. Um, sounds good to me. But in verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. That's when he realized. And my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. God's dominion, his, his power, his empire, if you will, same word, it is forever. And he has dominion and not Nebuchadnezzar. So he's told what to do. He's told what's going to happen to him. And guess what? It's just like God said. His reason returned to him. His honor and splendor returned to him. His counselors and nobles resorted to him in verse 36. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. All from verse 36. Just like God said it would. All that happened to him was as God said it would happen. And all the good that came out of it was just like God said would happen. I've always been fascinated by Nebuchadnezzar. Always fascinated. Why did God go to such lengths to get the dreams in, uh, for Nebuchadnezzar and then have them interpreted? And why did he want him to know what's going to happen in the future? I just... And then he realizes that God rules. Always fascinating. Verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. He realizes that his heart was not right. The proverb writer in Proverbs 16, verse 18, says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Just look at Nebuchadnezzar. Look at it. I mean, he's just perfect fit for him. He was prideful, and then he, he, he was destroyed. Now, What are we going to do about it? What can we do not to be like Nebuchadnezzar? It's pretty simple. He told him, basically, he told him, you repent. Verse 27, therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. That's what we need to do. If that's us, if we are in Nebuchadnezzar's boat or Diotrephes, if we're, we're like that, we need to change. I don't know if you are. But if anybody needs to re repent of some matter or if you need to be baptized to have sins washed away, this is the time. Why don't you come while we stand and sing?